You are listening to In the Mouth of Dorkness. This is Jerry Giangelo from Arctic, and you are listening to the best podcast this side of the universe. So I don't think that's too important. Hey, you want to get on the train here, or you want to ruin another take, huh? It's too cerebral. We're trying to make a movie here, not a film. Man, I don't drop character till I've done a DVD commentary. You want to eat the writer? Be my guest. That will leave you to explain how else your character is supposed to get to Bremen. Welcome back to another episode of the In the Mouth of Dorkness Chatcast. I'm your host, Brad Gullickson, the Mouth Dork, and joining me today is Billy Das, the Indie Dork. What's up, Billy? Nothing much, man. I just, I continue to feel blessed that we get to do all of these interviews with these directors. It's uh, magical. Yeah, it's crazy. This is episode 37. <laughs> so nuts. Which That's such a big number. is nuts to be. You know, I just finished editing the Arctic episode with Jerry G. Angelo. And that I was, was so sad to have missed that conversation. I watched that movie last night. Holy shit, it's amazing. It, I'm, I, when I was watching, I was like, this is a Billy movie. Uh, <laughs> it's and, a lot. And I'm a lot. Y- you really need to meet Jerry Giangelo in person after having watched Arctic because his performance, his character of Arctic is very different than the man himself. Thank God, because you would not want to meet Arctic in person. No, definitely not. Uh, but here we are with episode 37. Yeah, crazy. Uh, but these episodes can only go on because we have really rad and willing filmmakers yeah. to stoop to our level to chat know, it's, with it's us. Not that low these days, it's, man. We're uh, we're doing all right for ourselves. Okay. All right, all right, all right. Well, we could not drive up to the Great North to Toronto to experience their film festival. We've always wanted to go to TIFF, and we will get there one day. Agree. Uh, but thankfully, we could bring a little bit of TIFF to us. And now, this part of TIFF, though, was in a basement. So just as a heads up on some of the audio. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, director Alvaro Longoria apparently was in a basement talking to us. So... The audio quality. Well, guess what? Itmon listeners are used to it. Our last episode uh, with Irene Brodsky talking about uh, uh, Midnight Sonata, Deafness in Three Movements. That was recorded on the side of uh, a road in Park City, Utah. So Itmon listeners, they're used to the um, eclectic taste of audio quality that Itmon has to Look, offer. we get stuff done. Yeah, we okay? get stuff done. We get stuff done. We get stuff done. Yes, yes. But... Enough about how great we are and how awesome our audio quality is. Let's talk about Alvaro Longaria's new film, Sanctuary. Uh, It's a powerful piece. It is a film in which he and his camera crew, which which basically means just him, uh, (laughs) along with the Bardem brothers, Javier and Carlos, they go down to Antarctica to experience that universe and a universe that is being greatly affected by man's presence on this globe. And, you know, no duh, listeners say, climate change and, uh, you know, carbon footprints. And we're, we're used to hearing the horrors of what we are producing to Mother Nature. I mean, every day I see an article that says the world is going to end in 20-something, and that number has gone from, like, 2075 to 2050 to 2038. 2020, I hear now. Tight. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's hard not to be pessimistic, but the great thing about Sanctuary is that it does offer hope if we're willing to fight, and that's the driving theme of this film, and it also deals with how do you 
get the rest of the world's attention on this issue. We all know the facts. We all know that the world is going to uh, shrivel up and die if we don't do something. So why aren't we doing anything? And how do you get all of us invested in our future? And one of those ways is celebrity and the power that they bring with them, guys like Javier Bardem, and how they are using social media and how Greenpeace is using social media to get the message out there. And that's what Sanctuary is about. It's, it's about igniting a charge on this planet to save our planet. I have nothing to add to that. You have nothing to add to that? <laughs> All right. Well, then let's get right into the conversation and meet us back on the other side. Like we said, the audio quality, it's a little rough, um, but the content I think you will appreciate. And if you are like me and you are suffering some of that pessimism looking into our future, uh, Alvaro, Longoria, and Sanctuary will give you a little bit of hope in your life. So let's 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 do this and meet me back on the other side. All right. Hi, Elvaro. How are you today? I'm great, thank you. How are you? I am wonderful. Thank you so much for talking to me. I have my uh, uh, writing partner here, Billy Das, with me. Hi. How are, how's it going? Everything great. Excellent. We really enjoyed your documentary, and I think where I wanted to start was with this idea of optimism uh, surrounding all the workers, all the people fighting to secure this wonderful uh, track of the world. And how did your sense of optimism evolve or change over the course of making the movie? Well, I mean, I think that optimism is, is, uh, is crucial. Uh, when you're doing these long-term uh, fights, no, and I think Greenpeace people have been doing this for so long that they are used to uh, having a long-term vision, and that's what is crucial, I think. Um, and I thought that was interesting to see from all of them, you know, even though it was a, it's a tough issue and a tough uh, fight, but they still remained optimistic all of them. No, I thought that was quite uh, cute and interesting. With regards to my personal experience, uh, I myself am a, a very optimistic person. <laughs> and I always think things tend to fix, uh, get fixed. Uh, and I think even though we had some tough moments in there during the campaign, uh, obviously I'm not going to give away the end, but um, there are some some not so successful <laughs> uh, events. Mm. But in the long term, uh, I think that the, the moment people realize that it's up to them, things will change. And I am absolutely certain of that. I think that people now are aware of the problem, but maybe they're not that aware that they can, but it's really up to every single one of us to make a difference. And the moment that happens, I think uh, things will tend to, to revert. You know, I tend to be a pessimistic person sometimes, and, <laughs> and it's... It's something that I have to really battle uh, with myself. And I'm watching your documentary, and it gets to the point where we have the results of the Global Ocean Treaty, and these people, you know, are are delivered uh, quite a blow. Um, but but here, the film still ends up on the, on this optimistic. Uh, uptake and I really appreciate it because I, I need to see people who are fighting that 
have faith that the fight will result in a positive. Um, and I guess where I'm dancing around the question of how did you prepare for the results of the Global Ocean Treaty? And was there a different version of this film you were hoping to get? And when you got those results, how did your plan change with the film itself? I thought, I thought it was very interesting what my editor, Alex Marquez, who, who is uh, someone that I worked with in the past, when we found out, he said, this is terrible for the planet, but it's great for the movie. Mm. <laughs> 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 because uh, the truth is that it's an unexpected turn that um, I think reflects much more the reality of what we're going through than rather than if had, had it been a just a sweep, no? and everything would have gone great, which is not what's going on. No? The truth is that things are tougher. It's tough to change uh, uh, things that uh, have been going on for a long time. And there are a lot of interests. There's a lot of money. There's a lot of strategic uh, interests. So it's not going to be a, a one day or a one month or a one year effort. It will take time. But the thing is to try to go step by step. And I think that's, that's crucial. And I think um, in the film, you can see, no, is we were one year going through all these processes. Mm -hmm. No, every time um, we managed to get somebody more interested, that was a small victory. So I think it's by getting a lot of small victories, you end up having a big one. What I find fascinating about Sanctuary is how you're also having a conversation about the power of celebrity and the power of social media. And you know, how how did you go about? I mean, obviously you've made films before with Javier Bardem and Carlos, but how did that become a, a, a factor of the film? And, and, and how did you go about showing it uh, its effect uh, narratively? Well, I think, I think the, main, the major uh, thing was I did not want to make a classic, let's say, classic environmental movie, no? where you make people very angry and very desperate because things are you know, the end of the world, or whether you make a showing of beautiful things that you have to that you have to protect, you know, and just play on the beauty. I, I thought it was much more interesting to have another angle and to try to follow the campaign and to be a bit um, cynical. No, mm. is it really necessary to bring a celebrity to do this? I mean, this is not important enough that people need to hear it from the voice of a famous person. I mean, uh, and like that. Uh, we managed, and, and Javier also uh, felt very happy about that. No, I mean it's really uh, a reality of today that uh, people listen more to Javier Bardem than to a scientist mm -hmm. that has been investigating the oceans for twenty years, and that's a fact. Mm -hmm. So we live with that. We also wanted to analyze the power of social networks, which I think nowadays are changing the world we live in, and, and we wanted to show that. So. Really, the, the objective was to try to show, uh, to, to, to make the audience do something different. So you're going to live through a campaign as if you're a part of that campaign. So essentially, the, the idea is you, as an audience, have to empathize with Javier. You are represented by Javier. He asks the questions that any of us would. And he pretty much acts as any of us would no? in these circumstances. And I think that's the goal of the movie, is to try to make people live the experience and uh, therefore become much more involved than just being, you know, reactive to something that makes you angry, which, to be honest, I think is counterproductive at this point. Everybody 
has been already angry too many times about the environment, or you know what they're doing, how the people do much more, uh, much better than me, like the BBC or whatever, that are showing you know the beauty of the planet, which is great, but it is not what we were trying to do. So I, I, I think, go ahead. No, no, and I think and I think that gives it a bit of a of an interest because it's not like another environmental yeah that's i mean i that's kind of the thing that's caught my interest here is you know anger anger is an emotion it's not an action and you know desperation or fear or terror are emotions they're not things that you can do and structuring the movie by having the human element, you know, your viewers walk through this campaign and see how this works and see how this goes. It almost feels like it gives them a path to take passion, whether that's in the form of terror or uh, love or beauty or anger and turn it into something that they can, that they can do themselves. It's a tough bridge to cross. It's a tough bridge to, to win a fight that's so big um, but help people not be demoralized every time a battle is lost. Well, I mean, that's in trying to change the way things are, or things will remain, and if they remain, we're doomed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it doesn't look too good, so you better, you better get uh, off your... I like this uh, sentence that uh, the captain of the boat says, you know, uh, encouraging people to get away from their screens, you know? Get away from your screens, you know, and go look, and go do something. It's not, a, it's not about... You know, just saying, I like this Instagram photo. It's, you need to be to do a bit more than that. Yeah. Well, you That's certainly you certainly got away from your screen. I mean, you you and Javier and Carlos and your whole team have to now document this expedition. And I just want to know. Like what goes into planning that from a, a, a documentary point of view? Like, how do you prepare to go down to the end of the world? Well, I mean, this is quite unusual because I normally am not a, 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 a photographer. I'm not a cameraman. Mm -hmm. But the problem is that there was only room in the boat for me. Uh, so I had to kind of do a bit of everything. So I'm like producing, directing, interviewing, doing sound and operating the camera all at the same time. It was <laughs> mm. something I had never done and, and just go through the adventure with Javier and Carlos. As, a, as, a, as both a, a creative person and, and a professional working in the field, how like that sounds daunting to suddenly take on that responsibility, all of that, for yourself. Um, how did you approach that mentally to prepare yourself for the challenge of that? The first thing I did was I called two of my friends, who were all very helpful. I didn't think too much about it. I said, okay, we have to go, let's go. And uh, I'm trying to follow them all the time. It was not easy to do because obviously you have to, I was, so there was another camera of the Greenpeace team was there to them on them. So I, you know, well, let's let's talk about that before we let you go. Uh, you know, what was it like being trapped down there with uh, the two Barden brothers? <laughs> it was fun. It was fun because I mean, obviously, I know them very well, and um, and I know that when they are relaxed, it was you know quite natural in that sense to be 
part of the, of the team, Raymond Javier Stanley. You can see in the movie he's a bit of a clown. So sometimes he tends to do these very funny moments <laughs> and impersonations. So very helpful, you know, to get uh, everybody in a good mood. But I mean, it was, I'm just saying that, that it was very nice to be surrounded by this group of fantastic people from Greenpeace. The people from Greenpeace tend to be very positive, optimistic, helpful, and, you know, and, and that obviously helps a lot. It's not like we're going in a boat, uh, bad-looking pirates, you know? Helpful. <laughs> 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 uh, and then finally, uh, you know, what... What uh, what is your general inspiration for Sanctuary, uh, cinematically or documentarian wise? Like, what are you, what what are you chasing um, creatively with Sanctuary? Well, I think that that in, in all my documentaries, what I try to do is to do a documentary that reflects and is part of of, of the historical process. No, so it's not just reflecting a reality, but trying to influence a reality. So. That was, I think, maybe inspired in, in uh, uh, Bowling for Columbine. You remember that marvelous moment when yeah. he manages to get Walmart to stop selling ammunition? I don't remember what. That for me was a, a great moment uh, because I realized that documentaries not only can, can change once they're done, but they can also change while they're being done. So that's that's what we, what we tried. And and, uh, and also the fact that we're shooting the, document, the documentary makes everybody involved much more committed. So Javier went to more places. We went to the to London. We went to to um, to Berlin. We did a lot of different things that uh, maybe if the documentary was not going on, maybe they wouldn't have been done. You know. So so that's I think part of it's, it's a good combination. You know? Well, Alvaro, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Uh, like I said, we really enjoyed the documentary, and uh, we can't wait to see other people watch this film and get active and get optimistic. <laughs> me too, me too. Tonight is my first uh, public screen, so yeah. I hope people like it. Congratulations. Thanks a lot, guys. All right, take Thanks care. Hey, and there you have it. Uh, did we lose you? How is that audio quality? Too bad? Great. I, I think it worked out fine. I think it sounds okay. I think it sounds okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what, what's definitely a, uh, a true fact is that Alvaro is a fascinating guy. And it really is, like, surreal to talk to this guy about this adventure he's had with the Bardem brothers. Mm -hmm. And it's not his first adventure with the Bardem brothers. No, you know? it's, no, yeah. It, it, so it's wild. And, you know, I, like I said to him, I really appreciate the fact that he's chasing hope in this film, you know, that he talks to all these people who are fighting the good fight down in Antarctica and the movie mm -hmm. ends with a massive uh, slap to their good efforts yeah. and they keep on going and, you know, uh, Javier and Carlos keep on going and Alvaro keeps on going and, you know, they've made it their mission to shake the world and say, pay attention. Did they do enough to, sh to, to, to shake me out of my pessimism? 
No. <laughs> but your and, pessimism is deep and entrenched. But my pessimism is deep. Uh, but, you know, like I look at you, Billy, you know, you're a father of three. That's true. And I, I, I see that and I go, OK, well, Billy's obviously an optimist because only an optimist would bring children <laughs> into this world. So I really have to hang my hat on my co-host's optimism <laughs> to get me through the dark times of 2019, 2020 and if we if we make it that far, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, well, it's funny what you say about hope. Um, I don't I don't mean this in a negative way, but I'm not really a big believer in hope. Uh, I like hope is a positive spin on apathy from from my perspective. The mm. way that people talk about it, like I really hope uh, the environment and the, the the battle against the things that are happening right now goes very well. I hope that that works out well is an excuse to not do anything. I find a lot of times, and I and I recognize that when people, I recognize that when people use that expression, that they don't necessarily mean it like that. But in in my head, that's that's what hopefulness means. But like the idea that they lose that fight and they keep on going, that is optimism to me because like, here's the deal at, at the end of the day, things always are going to change. And there is a great deal of catastrophe in our world on any given day. I mean, we were talking about this a little bit off air, but like there have been mass extinction events that that are not the dinosaurs, you know. I mean, the the Spanish flu in uh, the early 1900s killed tens of millions of people. Right. Um, the bubonic plague killed tens of millions of people. We've experienced events as humanity that have wiped out or vastly changed the way that we function as people. And so, when you say like, "Are you optimistic by bringing three kids into this world uh-huh. as a father?" I don't know. You know, I, I, I think that, you know, in all probability in the next 30 or 40 years, 50 years, we're going to see a massive change in the way that the world works. Uh, how can a father say that, Billy? I don't, I, why'd you bring three kids into that world when there's a, a bubonic plague around the corner? Because the purpose of life is not to worry about the inevitability of death. The purpose of life is to live while we're here. And if that means that we're living through cataclysmic times and we happen to be in a period of history where things are being shaken up in, in, in large part with climate change through our own doing, yes, there is going to be a catastrophic amount of life. And yes, there are things that are going to be irrevocably changed. But I'm not optimistic that humanity is, is, or I'm not pessimistic that humanity is doomed. I think that humanity will persist. I think that it will be different. And for humanity to persist, you procreate. That's what we're here to do. You know, man, you're an Avengers fan. What is, um, what is, um, what is he, what does Sam Jackson say in the basement of the original Avengers movie as the building is collapsing around yeah, yeah, them? As long as the world keeps spinning. We're going to presume yeah. that it's going to keep spinning. Uh-huh. And I, I genuinely believe as a father, like, like we just continue to live with the things that are in front of us. If we can plan, that's awesome. And if we can change things and change the bad things that are coming our way, I think that that is also awesome. But I can also teach my skill, my kids, the skills they need to, to survive, Fury survive Road. what's coming. Is it Fury Road? I don't think it's Fury Road. I really don't think it's Fury Road. I, 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 I think, 
I think what's going to happen is is that most of the world without means is going to be way, way, way more affected than than the very small percentage of the world with means in front of them. And I think that that's drastically unfair. And I think that if we don't take action to fight against that and to fix the things that are going to cause a lot of people to lose their lives, that we're not ethically fulfilling our moral obligations as humans on this planet and custodians of it. Sure, yes. sure. Well, let's look at just, you know, uh, not to say that these are minor catastrophes, but look at smaller catastrophes than the bubonic plague. Let's just, we're recording this actually on 9-11, right? <laughs> and so yeah. let's talk about those towers going down, right? After those towers go down, there was a, a rallying cry in uh, the United States. Sure. And there was a fallout from that rallying cry. Sure. And I'm not going to get political about it, but it was insane. I think 3,000 deaths irrevocably changed the next 20 years of global history. And I think that we're not too far away from something like but that. But you need again. events like that to cause any kind of real change. I th I disagree with that a little bit. I would structure it differently. I think events like that necessarily catalyze change. I think that you can change things without catastrophic without catastrophic events, but like the point of the movie is making, how do you get everyday humans to transition from anger and emotion that they experience about the unfairness of this all to things that they can do to fix it themselves and take that into their own hands? Like, I don't think that you need a catastrophic event for that, but catastrophic events certainly do catalyze change. Well, follow Javier Bardem and his brother on social media. Follow the hashtag. <laughs> yeah. That's step one, maybe. Uh, yeah, Billy didn't change my pessimism. That's for darn sure. Well, but step two is get uh, away from your screens. He says it in the interview. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you know, one of like just even thinking small. Like one of the things that my wife and I have started doing um is spending more time going to our local parks and walking around and getting to know. You just the stole people. that from Lisa and I. That's what Lisa and I have been doing. <laughs> We've been doing a lot of uh, walking around the town, and it it has uh, certainly reinvigorated my time uh away from work right you know like i need to get out i need to get yeah. away from the, you know the things that i love like i love writing i love watching movies i love reading comic books but it's also important to step outside your front door and experience just the nature that's around you and it is invigorating well and it's it's also not something like you don't have to journey an hour to get to a place where there's a park where you can take a walk and uh, see some wildlife or, or do that. I mean, just down the road from us, there's a five minute drive. We go to uh, a park and we walk around and they've got a nature preserve and it's, it's wonderful. And there are people there that you can ask questions of like, like engagement, local engagement that matters is a walk away from where you are. If you're willing to get outside of your house and do it. Uh, let's leave it on that. Let's leave it on that. So as long as this world's still spinning, we'll keep bringing you excellent conversations with filmmakers. We've got another one coming at you next week. Uh, we're talking to Max Winkler, the director of Jungle Land, which also just premiered at TIFF, uh, stars Charlie Hunnam and Jack O'Connell. It's, uh, it's a, a wild, wild movie uh, that I'm really excited to explore further with Mr. Winkler. Uh, and then after that, uh, we'll be heading to Fantastic Fest and hopefully be bringing back a lot of really cool conversations from that uh, magical film festival. Uh, and uh, we, there should be some optimism there. 
in some form. How could there not be? <laughs> it's a wonderful place that you're going to. I think that you guys are going to have a great time, and I think that you're going to get uh, a lot of excellent opportunities to come away with some good content. And we'll also be at Lost Weekend. Uh, half the dorks will be in Winchester, Virginia, partaking in that film festival, and there will be... F- conversations coming out of that uh event as well you know so i think we're covered for the rest of the year which is wild i can't believe that uh yeah yeah so fingers crossed knock on wood uh i think i think we're gonna have some pretty amazing people on it mod in the very near future uh but until then billy where can our listeners find you online so you can find me at wb das on twitter instagram and letterboxd and you can also find me at bill and claire's excellent adventures which is a podcast that i co-host with my 10 year old daughter as we work to expand her cinematic horizons i think this week we've started our look back at universal horror monsters um our first episode with that is uh um frankenstein and to be honest, I, I think it's maybe the best thing that I've ever been a part of. I'm really, really proud of this conversation. And if, oh, that's awesome. if you ever are interested in checking out one of those episodes, uh, go take a look at that one. Uh, quick spoiler. She, she liked Frankenstein? Dude, she loved it. Awesome. It was amazing. Awesome. Uh, I am going to watch those movies with the show. Like, yeah, do like that. Th- that... Th- I've been aching to revisit the Universal Monsters, and it's October practically. Now's the time. Well, you know, it's for me. It's that's part of the appeal. Is you know, I saw a lot of these movies as a kid, but I'm not like intimately familiar with some. Like when we interviewed Larry Fessenden, right? Like that Frankenstein movie defined his entire creative existence yeah. through his own words. Um, this is this is a real joy to be able to go back to some of these movies that I loved and haven't gotten a chance to spend as much time with. Oh, I'm so I'm, I'm so excited about it. I'm waiting for like Claire to really take a dump on a movie I love. It <laughs> hasn't quite happened yet, uh, but I'm sure it's in the, the near future. It'll happen. Yeah, It'll happen. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, be sure to follow our other dorks, uh, Lisa Gullickson at Sidewalk Siren on Twitter and Instagram, Darren Smith at the Disco Dork, Brian Young, who made his debut on yeah! the Chatcast channel a few weeks weeks ago with the arctic conversation uh follow him at the turtle dork and of course follow me at mouth dork on all social medias and until next time guys take care say your bye billy oh i'll see you guys later bye do the the, bye bye yeah (laughs) that's how i like that these episodes now visions are worth fighting for why spend your life making someone else's dreams I did not have it recording when you were talking about my erotic T-shirt. But I do have a recording now, Billy. You should know. All right. It is an erotic T-shirt, and I cannot look away from it. Tom King's Batman. Uh, All right. Ready? Three and a two and a one.